many of you have taken the precepts? Oh, this is good. I have a whole <laughs> I can say anything, right? Um, I've been talking about the precepts this week because in, in our tradition here at Blue Lotus, we do a precept ceremony once a year, and that's in October. And people who want to take the precepts, that, and I'll tell, talk about what the precepts are, um, we ask that they all have a, a at least six months of meditation practice so they, they have an idea of what this path is about, and they, they, just, they may decide they want to take the precepts to continue in their own path and learning about the Buddha's uh, kind of training program. Uh, some people take it. The, the precepts can be a very, very healing uh, process in itself. But let me tell you what the precepts are. They are the basic uh, five parts to what we talk about in Buddhism is virtue. There are, it, this is concerning our behavior, our actions. And so it's very simply five uh, training rules. They're like our training wheels, you know. They're, they're, the, they're very uh, essential to our spiritual development, but they're, what they help us do is live a harmless life harmless to ourselves and harmless to other. So the, essentially, this is how we, we really began to feel uh, letting go of remorse, letting go of maybe what we think of as guilt or regret for things. Because as we, as we work with the precepts, we're letting go of things that create uh, that anxiety from maybe maybe I used the wrong language when I spoke to that person or maybe I was too harsh or maybe uh, this feeling I get when I can't settle my mind, when my mind can't relax, maybe that's because my my behavior isn't in line. And, and one thing you, we know if we've practiced meditation at all, that getting to that point where you can just totally relax and be with your breath, uh, there's all that restlessness in our minds. And that restlessness is often going over what we've done that day or going over maybe uh, old, old issues we have with people where we still haven't kind of figured it out or we still have issues that bother us. And when we really start working with the precepts and really start seeing how important they are to our meditation practice and just to how we are in the world it it we begin to see the picture that the buddha was creating about uh when he talked about the four noble truths and gave us the eightfold path the eightfold path is, path is uh, well, there are only eight if there were nine if it was a ninefold path we could mathematically divide it up it'd be more comfortable but uh three of the Three of the parts of the Eightfold Path are about our, uh, about the precepts. They're about our, our morality, our ethical behavior. And so, for our meditation to be good and for the wisdom that we're developing and the insight to be right on track, we have to start living a life that becomes more and more 
pure, which means we, we do things with more skillful means. You know, we're learning the right way to use our speech. We're learning the ways to uh, avoid doing something that creates problems that keep coming up in the, you know, the, like wrong speech can, can create problems as soon as things pop out of our mouth. So we're, we're putting all the pieces together in the, in the, in what the Buddha taught. And we know he began with the Four Noble Truths. So there is suffering in the world. And, and Buddhism isn't about suffering. It's about the rest of what the Buddha taught. He taught there is suffering, but there's a reason for suffering. And suffering's not a very good translation. So I think a lot of, uh, what you hear, now you hear a lot about a, a better word for dukkha or suffering is, uh, a better translation might be stress or any kind of friction. So that, that part about life that's always there and that comes up over and over again is that, that the stuff that's every, nothing is ever a hundred percent quite right. Or when it is, it's only right for a little bit and then it changes. And then we're, then we're, we suffer because it changes or we're happy because it changes. But the three things that cause us the, the, the root of suffering then is attachment because we, we begin to want things to be a certain way. Like if things could be the way we want them to be, then we think we won't suffer. We won't have stress in our lives. And so we want to cling to something when we, when something comes to us that we think is good or the solution to a problem or makes us happy, we want to grab onto it and hold it, not let it go. And that's where the suffering comes from. Because the, just the nature of this world, the nature of this life is that things are impermanent. Nothing stays the same. Things are never you look at your own body. Things are changing all the time. And you, and the older you get, the more you realize that. But you, but you see the changes all the time. So you can't grab it like a perfect age and hang on to it. Because that we can't do that. And when we try to hang on to that, or we try to hang on to people, so maybe there's a person that really makes us happy. Someone we love, someone we just, you know, wonderful might be a noble friend, but we can't even cling to that person, right? Because people, people die, people move, people leave, nothing stays the same. So that craving and, and that, uh, trying to hold on to something is what causes that suffering. And then the Buddha said that there's a way out of that. There is a way to, to end suffering in this lifetime and find real happiness. And then he gave the Eightfold Path and said, if you follow this path and you just keep, keep following it, that you will, you'll find that real happiness. So the, 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 the first thing is right intention and right view. And right view most basically is that we, that we understand the Four Noble Truths. We understand the, the, uh, the facts about uh, impermanence. 
and no non-self and that there is suffering and then that we recognize the the that what keeps that suffering going is that hope trying to make things that are impermanent be permanent and trying to uh identify like that identify too much with our personality instead of instead of trying to find out who we really are what we really are so the eightfold path is right view and then right determination right resolve and then the next three things are all about our behavior about what we call sila or virtue and that's right speech and right action and right livelihood so that's three of the eight and then the, the next three are uh, right effort and right mindfulness and right concentration and those are really focused on our meditation practice because we as we as our mind becomes more uh calmable because we're practicing with the with the precepts and practicing harmlessness and doing no harm uh it's easier for us to relax our minds so our meditation practice becomes we become more tranquil and calm and able to sit down and actually stay with our breath for a while and then that leads us into just deeper concentration which is just relaxing even more and being calmer and just allowing our mind you know allowing us to kind of go beneath our thinking mind and really getting down to that like underground stream that's very calm and then we go back and we we have we work again with our the our viewpoint and our determination our intention and keep going with that and that's how we have that's how we're working with this body to find that happiness in this world because happiness can't come from anything external in this world because everything everything in the world is is made up of parts that are all going to fall apart someday so everything in the outside world that we look at is part of that impermanence which means it's part of that dukkha or that uh, stress so everything that we encounter outwardly in the world is not going to give us true happiness and what we're looking for is a different way to understand reality to to see clearly what reality actually is so the precepts are they're they're really basic but they're really uh kind of a lifetime's worth of stuff to work with. So the first one is not to kill. And that's that's really about in uh, in uh, yoga we people talk about ahimsa and that's harmlessness, harmlessness to ourselves and to others. That covers all the precepts, but but we we have five and so the second one is not to take things that don't belong to us not to steal but not to take take uh, something that doesn't rightfully belong to us and the third one is not okay is it it's sexual misconduct right i always mess up the order so the third one is not to engage in sexual misconduct And in the Buddhist teaching sexual misconduct is when we're 
involved with someone who who doesn't isn't really uh, it's being involved sexually with someone who is not an appropriate person to be involved with. So that means with someone else's partner, or if we have another, if we have a partner. So it's being unfaithful to, in a relationship. But it's also not engaging with someone who's maybe too young, or uh, you're in a place of power and there's someone who's not, you know, is at a lower level. So it might be, uh, uh, that might that's not an appropriate relationship but uh those are that's what uh sexual misconduct refers to in buddhism and the fifth one is not to become intoxicated and that can be with drugs or alcohol or the other things that we become intoxicated with like could be food or shopping or gambling or tv you know we have a lot of things that cause us to become heedless, which means we we lose our mindfulness. So we all have to figure out what that might be for us. Um, but we the first thing we think about is whatever it is that causes our mind to become intoxicated. And since we're always working with our mind with the Buddha's teachings, that's the that's the last thing we want to do is to become heedless and not able to pay clear attention. So those are the five precepts. What? Number four is, oh, the most important one, right? That must be a Freudian slip or something. Okay, so number that number four is it starts out. It just simply we undertake the training to not lie, not to tell lies, and then of course, what if if you if you take the five precepts in a year or two years or three years, then we you can take the eight precepts, but the eight precepts are the five precepts, and all we do is add more about speech. So speech is really important. We can see just from that. And speech is is something we're probably all working on all the time, right speech. So we start out, let's just tell we're going to be truthful. No little white lies, we have to be truthful. But then when we add three more, we add not to, we undertake the training not to speak maliciously or harshly, or we are, we, and we take on the training to not engage in mindless chatter, which is the kind of speech we love, right? It's, it's, uh, and and the, there's a wonderful sutta, and I I have to get it. I'll bring a copy of that, but it lists all the things that the Buddha taught was mindless chatter, and it's everything that we talk about. It's the weather. It, it not don't talk about the weather, don't talk about royalty, don't talk about wars and politics, don't talk about fashion. And this is what the Buddha is saying 2,600 years ago. Don't talk about fashion, don't talk about uh, like plays or uh, whatever entertainment was going on back then. And it, you just go down the list and you think, yep, that's that's what we have today, that's what we have today. And uh, it's and he talks about don't gossip about what the kings are doing or what the uh, 
you know, the wealthy people down the street are doing. And, and so we can, speech is one of those that just is constantly one that I have to work with. Uh huh. <laughs> it's a short list, right? And it was a short list. I mean, there were a lot of things that, uh, and even about telling the truth, you know, the, the rather than, uh, often the Buddha would just, he would recommend, like, if you can't tell the truth, it just, you would be silent. So you wouldn't, you wouldn't, he wouldn't answer questions sometimes. Uh, it, but he would, he would know that the person he was talking to maybe couldn't handle a direct truthful statement or it wasn't the right place or the right time to say something to that person. And so he might just not answer a question. And maybe he would later privately or maybe he would, uh, instead of answering the question a person asked, he might ask a question or he might talk about something different. But it would, it, he, he knew who he was talking to well enough that he wouldn't, he wouldn't like blurt out the truth. He knew the right time to, to say what. And that's, that's what we're always trying to learn. He does, I'm sure there's a sutta about all the things the Buddha said is okay to talk about, right? Yeah, well, I'll let, I'll let Bhante Amita help me find that. <laughs> and, Amen. The good, the thirty-two parts of the thirty-two kinds of speech. Okay, so see, there's a sutta. Yeah. For lay people. Okay, well, I'll get that because it's for if it's for monastics, monastics aren't don't have to be as involved with the outside world as as uh, lay people do. So they're it's they're we're supposed to be really focused on our practice. So it's that it would be different for lay people, right? There'd be different things that you'd have to. Yeah, so let, that's a great idea. Let me get those together and we'll look at them and compare them. And I'm sure there's, there are things about speech, uh, that, that are okay for lay people. For, for, uh, monastics, a lot of it has to be that when we, when we talk, we're supposed to be talking about the Dhamma. Pretty much that's what we talk about. That's, I mean, that's not true, but that's what we're supposed to be doing. <laughs> But we can, but you, you know, we, we can relate pretty much everything in our day to day lives. That's Dhamma. So that's where, that's what Dhamma is. It's the truth that we experience with our everyday activities. So if someone's skillful with their speech, they can relate everything. But that's a, that's a great topic. But the list is really long for the things not to talk about. So we'll look at all of that. So one thing that I've uh, realized recently about the precepts too, and this has been really encouraging to me, but 
when we work with the five precepts, it's very important that we keep them very focused on like our, what we can do in our own lives and not kind of globalize the precepts. Because if we globalize them too much, we're going to feel like, well, we just can't achieve that precept. Maybe it's to change the world, or it's to keep everybody else from killing things, or uh, keep everybody else from, say, stealing the resources of the earth and creating so much trash. Because we need to focus on what we can do in our, like our little bubble, our bubble of our life. And always focus on us, what our, what we're working with for ourselves. Because if we, if we focus too much on everything beyond our limited control, then we're likely to become, uh, to just move into despair because we'll think, well, I can't change things. I can't keep, I can't keep my spouse from killing things or my kids or my neighbor across the street. And we forget that the precepts are about how we live our own lives. So we have to take on not the whole world, but we have to just see what we can, how we can work with that training, how we can make it, uh, make it work with us. And of course that influences other people. But before we go out, you know, to save every whale, we need to be sure that we're working in our little world to, to be, to be harmless towards ourselves and to be protective of the life around us. And not that there's anything wrong with saving whales, but that's just my example of we have, it's not if we start globalizing issues, like we're never going to be able as one person to save all the whales. And, but we can be an example to other people of what it means to be harmless. And what happens when we, we live these precepts is we are protecting a big part of the world because everything, everyone or every being that comes in contact with us, we're going to be harmless towards them. So it's, it's, that's reaching a lot of beings and, and we're also being harmless to ourselves. So, you know, we're, we have a much greater effect on the world and on, uh, our world is bigger than we think it is because other people are observing us. And so I think the precepts can be very powerful by just focusing on our own world and not trying to get other people to change as much as looking at ourselves and seeing ways we can be, we can live more skillfully and more blamelessly. And not harming others means helping others. So I think um, sometimes it's easy to globalize the precepts, and then it's it can it can create some harmful side effects because it it's it can make someone give up. But just keep it. It's kind of a make it make it be very personal. And when we take the precepts, we're not talking about here are the rules, and if you break these rules, you risk being excommunicated or you risk being kicked out or you're going to have to 
tell anybody that you're not keeping the precepts. They're not like that. In Buddhism, the, the word precept means a training guideline. So this is just the training for our life that we're talking about. And uh, one way that I've, I think is, I've, I've really, I'm, I'm going to print these up and make little cards for everybody. But a really good way to work with the precepts very simply and to just think of it as this simple thing to remind us of what we're, what we're training in, what we're, what we're, uh, what we're working on to make our meditation practice be richer and deeper and make our lives be truly peaceful and happy. We can, you can start the morning out using the precepts as daily intentions. The other thing I like about that is if you go to a yoga class or something, and you know the yoga teachers now all say, now set your intentions for the yoga class. And I never know what that, I never understand what that's supposed to mean in a yoga, yoga class. Like, and I always get, okay, I've got to set my intentions for yoga class. But if you, if you just take the precepts and let your morning, uh, when you get up in the morning, just say, today, these are my intentions and intentions as I move through the day today. I will, I will, uh, I will try not to harm myself or any other living being. I will, now let me see if I can, without stopping to think, I will not take anything that doesn't belong to me. That includes other people's ideas or, or other people's freedom or other people's, you know, don't, don't, uh, take any, anything away from other people. Uh, and beyond just items like taking their ballpoint pen or something. It means don't take their ideas, don't squash their creativity. Don't, uh, don't be a helicopter parent with your kids, you know, don't, don't let them be free, let them profit from their own mistakes sometimes. So the second one is may, today, may I not take anything that's, that does not belong to me, and may I be, that's, what's number three? What's number three? Sexual misconduct. Okay, may I not engage in any inappropriate behavior, uh, any pro, any inappropriate behavior with, with anyone I'm attracted to. Uh, and number four is about right speech. And today, may I not, may I not tell any untruths. And may I not become, in, may I not become intoxicated and heedless today. And then, that's all you have to do. You don't have to think about it anymore. But if you go into yoga class, you know, you, I think you can just say, I've, I have already set my intentions. You know, like I'm not going to hurt myself in yoga class today or I'm not going to, uh, kick anybody else. You, you can just say you've done your intentions. So that works for yoga classes too. But it's a good way to start your day and it's a good way to uh, work with the precepts because it's an awareness of these things. They're not things that are hard for us to do. Some of them may be hard, and it's just uh, people will always say that they uh, they'll either say, "I want to take the precepts, but I don't want to take the fifth one because I still like to drink wine," 
Or they'll say, I've never taken the precepts because I, I don't want to quit drinking. And um, the precepts don't say that you have to 100% follow the precepts. These are the guidelines that the Buddha wanted the, his students to really look at and to train with because he knew it would make their lives more peaceful, less there's less remorse, there's less guilt. And that's a big step in moving towards this spiritual freedom that we're looking for. So there's no confession. A lot of people have said uh, they, they can take all the precepts, but what they'll do if they, dr- if they love to drink wine, they'll watch their drinking. They'll, be, they'll make the, have the intention to be very observant about their behavior. And so they're aware that if they, they, there's a, maybe they just become really aware of what their limit is to be able to have one or two glasses of wine and then they need to stop. But that's up to that person. Nobody is, there's not a precept police force or anything. And, and if you, and if there's a precept that you really want to keep and you realize you didn't keep that precept, all you need to do is be aware of that and just decide tomorrow I'll try to, I'll see if I can do better with that one. Or you might just want to be, just keep that awareness that that's one that's harder for you or that's one that maybe, uh, that's one that might be an issue for you and you need to look at it more closely. But don't feel regret, don't feel guilt. These are just the things that we want to look at in our life that will, that will often be kind of the culprit that we don't want to, that we don't want to see up close. So they're not a burden. The precept shouldn't be a burden. If anything, the precept should feel like something that's healing because they're simple, they're personal, uh, they give us a way to just kind of see how we're doing, and if this is a path that we want to continue with, this is the way to continue with it. So the precept ceremony is uh, in October, October the 12th, and so this is six months before. That's why I've been talking about the precepts. So if you think that you might want to do it, you definitely, even if you just, even if you were new tonight, you've got six months so you could, you know, you'll be eligible to take the precepts if you want to. It's not a requirement. It's not like joining. Uh, it's it's really a personal decision to work with the precepts. Uh huh. Is there a cost? You know, we what we've done in the past, and we're changing it this year. We've we've uh, it, there's there's never a cost if someone can't afford it, but we've asked if people can make a donation. Uh, and I think we're we're changing that process this year, so it's more open. But it should never anything with the Dhamma should never be dependent on a a fee. And so that's one of those things. If somebody if somebody is unable to make a donation, that doesn't mean they can't take the precepts. Good question. Thank you. The, the thing that, that we do ask people to do is try to wear, not men, we ask people to try to wear a white shirt the day of the precepts, and the women usually wear like a 
cotton skirt, white cotton skirt. Like men wear khaki-colored pants like yours are. Um, and that used to be the thing that caused the most consternation with the women. They, they didn't have white cotton skirts, so people would be in a frenzy about where they were going to get their skirt. But I think it's over the years that that doesn't seem to be a problem anymore. And we sell white cotton skirts from Sri Lanka in the, in the gift shop. I tell people to go to Kohl's at the end of the summer because everything white's on sale. So it's, that's not an issue either. That's because that's only a, a cultural, uh, in Asian countries, in Sri Lanka for sure, uh, when people go to the temple, they usually wear white. So that's not even, that's not even a rule. That's just a cultural thing we've adopted for special occasions. <laughs> so I'll be talking a lot about the precepts because that's always been my assignment for going through the summer leading up to October. And I, and I hope we can do it with your idea about the speech. Uh, instead of just the same thing every time, we can talk about some interesting things like what are, what are we supposed to talk about and what, uh, not just the things we're not supposed to talk about. That's a great idea. And then it will share, too, the things that monastics are supposed to talk about. Okay? So thank you, everybody. <laughs>